friendship, effort, and victory. These are three of the cores of the shonen genre, each holding a strong tie to stories and characters within these tales. It also happens to be the name of this week's episode. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Kamala about her game, Friendship, Effort, Victory. We talk about playbooks, publishers, and playtesting. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover products that you may have missed. This week, I am so incredibly excited to be joined for another really cool tabletop role-playing game. It's been a couple of weeks since we had one of them on. Kamala, thank you so much for coming on to the show this week. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about this game. You told me recently it's a, it's called Friendship Effort Victory, right? That's correct. That's the, oh, I usually just call it FEV, but yes, that is uh, the full title. Perfect. So this is a really cool product. And from what I read from playtest reviews, people who have playtested it have really enjoyed it for the most part. Um, and I'm a big sucker for Shonen and like <laughs> all that genre of anime. So I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit about this and some of the playbooks and dive in and see what this thing's all about. Well, yeah, I mean... You know, just uh, apologies in advance if my memory is a little hazy. I mentioned this during our pre-interview talk, but, you know, this game is actually was written a very long time ago, and it's just been me waiting on a publisher that could work on it. Uh, so apologies if my memory uh, fades at any point. I do have a copy with me to look through. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a very good publisher, too, I found ultimately, but we'll get to that, I suppose. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about the publisher. But before we get into FEV, can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, I've been no. in the no, that's totally fine. I just didn't think I'd be asked that. It's even though it's literally the first question that anyone would ask in this situation. I uh, <laughs> how brief should I make this? So I got into tabletop role playing games when my kind of a kind of a jerk college roommate, he always cheated, uh, convinced me to <laughs> oh, no. be a playtester for a game called Legends D20 by Rule of Cool. And then it kind of spiraled out from there. Just I got really into the hobby, probably because of, as a literal hyperfixation, because I'm a little neurodivergent. I, I guess you can't be a little neurodivergent. I am. And then... Um, <laughs> As a matter of fact, me designing games started really early for some reason. I just kind of thought it was... An, I always wanted to make games, but I couldn't program to save my life. So this ended up being easier. Though, of course, those first ones were terrible because they were like full-on heartbreakers. Never released to anyone, I think. <laughs> and then I just became a forever GM, played a ton of games with a lot of people. And it kind of helped that because it was a play test, I was friends with a designer who's okay. never published anything, only a freelancer, very good a friend of mine. Um, their name is Marcus, I should mention, and they really helped me out a lot. And uh, it ended up really teaching me a lot about how design works because they were always there to critique. And, you know, over time, I really got into the PP, P, PBTA system. I really into it. I actually played a lot of games on it. Uh, for the longest time, it was actually my favorite engine. And I ended up really getting into just, you know, the, so the two eventually just hit each other of designing something. And I was mentioning this uh, earlier. It started as a thought experiment a little bit uh, on the design group that I was with of um, a, a few things. I don't know if I should get into all those details right now because now I'm talking about the game. But back to myself, I guess, as that was the original question, you know, I worked on it for a while, did a lot of play tests. And just in general, though, I'm, uh, you know, just I, I'm mainly just GM. Don't usually play a lot of games, uh, just GM them. One of my favorite games is Chubos, by the way. I always want to play that game. And I'm not familiar uh, with that. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, it's it sadly no. doesn't have as big of an audience as, as I think it should, but very good title. And I'm not sure what else to say other than I have a 
very raunchy sense of humor, but I'll restrain myself since I know that uh, someone after this is going to be doing a teaching thing. And um, I'm kind of a loser. I don't know. I'm so bad at these kinds of questions. That's okay. It's You know what? I feel that there is kind of this overlap about those emotions and people in in our field of hobby <laughs> that there's yeah. kind of like this mutual understanding that it's like hey we're all losers but we like this thing so <laughs> whatever vin diesel plays it i guess or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what is friendship effort victory well put most succinctly it is a Powered by the Apocalypse title, which attempts to emulate a very specific subset of shonen battle manga or battle comics. Though, I guess if you're buying this game, you're almost certainly calling them battle manga. Um, I had to actually keep... It was actually part of the thought experiment. Because uh, they point out that a lot of... Uh, things they were seeing at the time is they thought that a lot of people were keeping things too broad and with uh powered by the apocalypse engine requirements they thought it'd be best if uh, someone you know tried going really specific so i was one person who was reading along with that and i thought you know that's an interesting idea uh so i identified the manga that i liked the most um which you know this was written a while this all started a while back i didn't i i really should have checked the years before this and so they were identified at the time as and this is going to give away my age i think because naruto bleach dragon ball one piece one piece especially over time that would all i would say this also can do my hero academia because that's very much in a similar vein um there are some key characteristics of those comics that we tried to emulate. You know, I actually have them written down here, so let me just bring this back up in the agenda. But this, <laughs> oh, I really wish I had it on right here. It's okay. I, I actually have a question about the agenda, so we can transition right into that. You know, that might say, give me a little bit of time to bring it up. So go right ahead. Yeah. So ah, the um, something that people really like about the Power by the Apocalypse games is those GM agendas and player agendas for the, the GM agenda, you have things like experience the life of hot blooded youth rebelling against the world, fill your battle and emotional fill your battle. And Oh my gosh, I forgot a word. And now the sentence doesn't make sense. I mean, I have it right in front of me. Do you want me? Perfect. Perfect. Yes, you could go. (laughs) Yes. I have it right here. It's fill your world with battle and emotional strife. Uh, Which, Oh, uh, oh, sorry. I don't know if you actually finished your question. I'm sorry if I. Uh, oh no, that's know. okay. It's it's um. How'd you come up with these these parts of the agenda? Oh, okay. So, that kind of came down to boiling what made these stories what they are. So it kind of links in. So, it was so long ago. I'm trying to remember the pieces, but I basically kind of overlaid it. I'd say one thing that does come up, and I brought up Dragon Ball earlier. Well, that's actually a really favorite in my series. I remember mm-hmm. recently uh, when talking with this on a Discord, comic book Discord for some reason, uh, someone asked me about that, and I had to admit this really is more One Piece than Dragon Ball, because when I was laying these stories on top of each other, and also trying to figure out the best elements for gaming, um, those series ended up being the ones that worked a little bit better because they have usually assembly casts of some design. What level is a different story? Um, but they usually have them to some design. And they usually focus on a particular character. So you can kind of see that I had to rewind Dragon Ball the moving to the side because the first one is a hot-blooded youth, which I kind of felt fit on a lot of things like, oh, you got... Naruto, you have Ichigo, you have Luffy. Now those are very different characters, but they have similarities that I had to identify that I well, I didn't have to identify them, but you know, I tried to identify them. Yeah. Uh they have very what's a good way of putting it? So they have um the outlier actually is Ichigo a little bit, but 
they usually have some sort of strong conviction and find themselves in opposition these three particular series which were the big three at the time this is why i said it yeah, was giving away were. my age these were the biggest shonen manga that were going on at the time this was before bleach was over when i started and mm-hmm. uh naruto's technically never ended and one piece i'm pretty Probably sure is gonna outlive us <laughs> yeah one piece definitely that's that's a big one <laughs> They find themselves in opposition to usually something ingrained into society. At they end up finding themselves over rebelling against. You know, Luffy is a pirate, and while at first he's not really so much in opposition directly, his actions inevitably place him into that because he has a stronger moral code than the world government, other pirates, and what have you. So. You know, maybe it's not moral code, but he does, you know, like good things to be done to people. He doesn't really like bad things happening to people. So he ends up in a situation where he's opposed to these more, if not outright evil, morally gray institutions that make up his world. Uh, Naruto start doesn't start off necessarily rebelling against it, but there is inevitably a point where that happens, you know, where he realizes, I mean, it, it was a world of child soldiers. It was kind of inevitable, but I was a kid, so it didn't really dawn on me a little bit how quickly yeah i mean it's a world full of child soldiers so eventually it was going to get revealed that this entire world is is terrible (laughs) because (laughs) there's a bunch of kids being trained to be ninjas which sounds cool so you realize that you know zabaza was forced to kill all his friends and stuff like that i mean i can go through the list but eventually they realize the world stinks i mean each go figure out soul society stinks so everything about it sucks and so they end up rebelling against it and usually making it better. Obviously, One Piece is still developing. And uh, I'll be honest, I haven't read since the time skip because I am kind of wanted to just make sure Oda doesn't die before he finishes the series. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the honest truth. But I finished Naruto and I finished Bleach. I haven't watched Boruto or however the proper uh, Romanji pronunciation of that is. Um, I always assumed it was Boruto. Um, and there is a point where they do you know fight against them and usually make it better in some way or another improving society as they go through it um by just not accepting this answers that are ingrained into how things are i may have spent too much time on that but uh, that is ultimately done through the second agenda fill your world with battle and emotional strife uh, that one was pretty straightforward i mean it is shown yeah. in a battle manga but uh, to go into it a little bit is that, you know, this change is usually brought at the end of a fist or end of a sword. You know, not necessarily... I mean, the ultimate emotional change usually comes from emotional elements in the story. I always yeah. felt Oda was really good at that. Actually, I always thought he had the best way of handling that. I mean, he can make you care about anyone if you tried. I always felt... Even the pacing gets a little screwed up sometimes because of it, because he loves back uh, story. He really can really, really make you care about anyone. Uh, and I'm sure he's still doing that post-time skip. Uh, but usually there is some element of there's a physical confrontation that usually aligns with an emotional confrontation, especially amongst the bigger movers and shakers. Uh, this is, once again, why I focused on, when you focus on these three series, as I was mentioning, you know, you have outliers. You know, I mentioned some, but there's even further outliers if you go through the rest of uh, show, what defines a shonen battle comic. You can find a lot more farther and different outliers. Uh, but this is what, from the ones I identified, those would be uh, important elements there, that there's usually some sort of emotional connection that is resolved at the end of these major physical fights. And I did make a little change to the last one. There's always a play to find out what happened. But I went with play to find out how you grow into a strong adult. So Shonen Battle Comics, uh, Shonen is actually a, I I should just mention this, because a lot of people might think Shonen is a genre. It's actually a demographic. I believe it's defined as a demographic between ages 12 and about 15 um, uh, of boys. Now, you know, but don't really buy into a lot of like gender essentialist kind of views on mm-hmm. things obviously a lot of women are non-binary etc etc like these stories as well but that is how they are marketed so they're marketed just a yeah rally of it so what i really wanted to focus on was the age demographic element because the, in the series identified the characters usually start off younger and 
part of the story they age as one would expect <laughs> you know time is linear yeah. but there's this big focus of how are they going to grow up a little bit because it's kind of like a narrative parallel i think some this is somewhat unrelated but uh, the quote the thing that's just coming to my mind right now was a bit of writing advice from one of the creators of the avatar the last airbender series where they say that if someone gets a new power you should tie it into a, a character moment and shonen yes. does that a lot yeah, where does. they're constantly learning new techniques you know naruto learning the wind rasengan is coming to mind me to me right now or Sengon. Uh, I think Rasengan is what we originally called it when it first came out. <laughs> Not that uh, when you were reading it in manga, uh, but Rasengan. Um, you know, there's just this moment that it's not just about getting a new power, it's about the, how that, what they had to go to get it. I mean, you know, we break it down, you know, the effort they had to put in to get their victory, which is lame now that I said that out loud, even though I think I literally wrote that in the book <laughs> at one point to explain the title. Uh, anyway, this effort is usually correlated to not only a physical growth, but an emotional one. I'm not to reiterate myself, but actually go back to Naruto. There was a very strong element of when he was learning to uh, competing with Sasuke to see who can get farther up the tree. I can't remember the power they were trying to learn. I want to say it was the ability to uh, can use their chakra to connect to objects and walk on them, but I could be wrong. I that remember sounds when they right. Were... Yeah, it might have been that. And while they were doing that... Um, I just remember there was an element of Naruto having to, and Sasuke to a degree, get over themselves. Because that was when Naruto was still focused so heavily on proving himself to other people. And I might be wrong on this because I swear to God I've read that years ago. Like so long ago that I'm pretty sure that was back when I was in high school. And I do believe there was an element of him having to you know, get over some of those insecurities. Even though it also introduced new ones because then he met Haku and all of that. Uh, but... Uh, did I answer your question? Because I kind of just rambled there for about a good 20 minutes. Yeah, you answered the question. You're good. <laughs> so we talked about a little bit about the, the term friendship, effort, victory. And one of the things that reflects really heavily in this game is playbooks. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about a little bit about playbooks in this system? Because they're kind of the, they're, I mean, players are going to be looking at these a lot. They're the, the big highlight of all Powered by the Apocalypse games. So can you talk a little bit about playbooks and how they work in uh, FEV? Well, I guess the only thought is who to start with, because, or maybe just talk about them in general first. The exact number yeah. is now escaping me because I never counted them up. But there is a good number. I remember actually trying to focus on, I want to say there's 9 or 10, because I wanted to make sure there was enough that in a group of 6 people there'd be uh, quite a few left over. And that was intentional because I tried to identify, of those stories, powerful archetypes. But I also knew, I mean, the archetypes in these stories, some repeated, but I, how can I say? They weren't all in every story. So if they were all in the same story, both A, there wouldn't be enough playbooks and players would be annoyed about that. That would be a gameplay element. But it also wouldn't feel right, like story-wise, that the same archetypes are in every shonen because while well, there is some repetition it's never that they're they're never i mean i mean even of those three series you notice how i said ichigo was an outlier that is because i would say naruto and one and i said one piece naruto and luffy they're more uh emotional um you know active in a way where ichigo is you know emotional but more passive of a character they yeah. he would fit a different archetype. He actually would fit. Uh, I think I called it the uh, post archetype. Well, after he gets um, God, uh, what should I call it? Because one of them spoils everything about the series. When he gets his yeah. power, <laughs> uh, he'd probably be closer to the guardian before then. But the playbooks try to identify close, strong elements. They try to make sure there's enough to go around. I guess the one I'll start with is the one that. Uh, I hope I don't come off as a jerk or full up, or up my own uh, keister saying this, <laughs> but this was one that everyone was trying to convince me to remove. Everyone thought this was a terrible playbook and I should get rid of it. And then it always ends up being the most popular one ever since I started talking about it publicly. And that was the jobber. And I'm able to use the jobber to sort of get across what your playbook does. So uh, first off, a jobber or jabroni is a wrestling term because not everyone's oh. into wrestling and probably has no <laughs> idea what that means. I, I like it. That's so good. 
Oh yeah, Jabroni. Just click for me. It yeah, it's a uh, yeah. They're, they're synonymous. I think I think the only person who actually calls them Jabronis is like The Rock. But anyway, uh, probably because he wasn't allowed to call them Jobbers. But the um, idea behind the Jobber is I know it said it's not too much from Dragon Ball, but it was still in my headspace a little bit. And there's no better way of saying it than it's Yamcha. Uh, it's the person. I've just find it a few ways. It's it's also the wharf effect. I mean, jobbing is essentially the wharf effect if you're familiar with Star Trek, because apparently I can't get enough fandoms. Uh, it is the idea <laughs> that if you think someone is powerful and they lose, then whoever beat them must be stronger. Now that's not really true. I mean, actually, in real life, very talented people have lost due to bad luck or just having a bad day all the time. I think the best. Uh, I think I've read somewhere the best most regiment of the allied powers during world war ii died due to a random mortar strike and before landing on d-day like you know and i think the best fencer in france in the 14th century died in a training accident so i mean things um it's not how it really works but that's how people like to think and stories really rely on that i mean before there was power levels and even afterwards because power levels I, i kind of feel like toriyama wanted to put that genie back in the bottle after the frieza saga jobbing jabronis whatever you want to call it was really the uh, whatever you call it uh it was all the way you would establish like strength you know you know this person is strong if they could especially since shonen so often thanks to dragon ball and some other uh, storylines usually turn very often turns villains into main characters yeah uh, just so often that if you could see them beating the previous villain, then this person is inherently viewed as stronger than the previous villain. Mm-hmm. And so the jobber plays that element, but on the player's side. You know, there's someone who's on your team who gets beat up a lot. <laughs> and there's a few I could think of. Krillin <laughs> might also fall under that. You could pl- you could question whether Krillin's more of a straight man or a jobber, but there is a reason why you can always take two playbooks from different moves, and I think the jobber actually specifically can take moves from the straight man. Yep, get distressed from the straight man, um, or is d- distressed? No distress. Uh, so you can because you know the archetypes aren't perfect. I mean that's true of every PBTA game. That's why you can take moves from other playbooks. Uh, so going through the jobber a little bit though, you can kind of um, see sort of what you get from it. So the playbooks, you know, you get your name, your look, and then some elements that are sort of, well, I mean, unique's not the right word, but um, unique to the playbook. Their awakening, which is a pretty common term, I think, in the anime community. Uh, I've used it a few times in other projects to describe sort of like, I think even there's this uh, fighting game that called uh, with Naruto and uh, Ninja Storm or Ultimate Ninja Storm that even called its power awakenings. Which is when you get like your boost of power. Except this one, it's more like uh, more inspired by uh, the moment of truth, uh, where you get this moment where you can just sort of do what you need to. This is your big moment. It's usually it's tied to, unless my memory, unless it was a previous draft and my memory's f- failing me here, you are acquiring a transformation. I'd have to. I'm almost ninety percent sure it was which sort of makes sense when you think about what awakenings usually do in these stories. You then have your techniques, which are mostly narrative and purpose. They kind of fill the role of gear in most other PBTA games, so I cut out gear and replace them with techniques. Except for your ultimate technique, which is basically a last resort move because there's so many shonen battles. I got it's a trope. Uh, where they just are like, oh, I'm going to put everything in this one last attack. Because it's very flashy. You know, it's a good way to end a battle. So ties, they kind of fit in history, everything like that. If it's an important purpose. And that yeah. is, in most tabletop role-playing games, you start off and there's no defined connection between the characters. Uh, so over time, the indie community kind of realized that's a problem. Like, that's where you, why you get the whole, like, you meet in a bar thing. So ties sort of serve that purpose by making sure everyone has a reason to like each other. You get all the basic and battle moves, and then you get a series of specific moves. The jobber is, there usually is one core move uh, that usually defines the playbook. I don't know if every single one of them has that off the top of my head, but I usually took that design because it helped uh, build. Because if you have like a core move, like this is my design view, if you have a core move, you can enhance that or play around that as a theme. It's kind of like giving them almost a gimmick 
uh, like you like my classes tend to have actually in games where yeah. they have a gimmick. Uh, the job is, for example, is mainly allowing them to always fail at certain battle moves. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can always fail at a battle move. Uh, you know, without even having to roll, so you can always just take a five minus and just fail. And when you do so, you make everyone else inspired. If you've ever played uh, a game for uh, acquaintance of mine, who I uh, Valmini uh, Fellowship, it's it's uh, it's similar to their mechanic. You roll three d six and take two. And then a lot of the mechanics sort of either play off of that sort of failure or play off the theme of it. So those moves sort of work out there. Then you have the friendship move, which is usually a special move that every character has related to uh, friendship. This is for more stronger examples of sort of a tie between characters. So when they really, I mean, this is shown in, I mean, the, the one of the examples I gave was Naruto, where, I mean, Naruto and Sasuke, I, there's a reason there's so why I should make that joke. Uh, <laughs> there's a reason why there's so much fan fiction about Naruto and Sasuke because they were so close and so dedicated to rest. Well, Naruto is so dedicated to rescuing Sasuke. There is just so much of this tie, and the friendship move is mainly for, you know, people who have that really deep tie. Yeah. And those are those are emulated in different playbooks. The rival, sort of, to break out of this for a second, I know can pick one character where it's like, I'm, that's my rival. And there's a lot of moves that are just about working with or working against your rival. Uh, but that's not a friendship move. That's actually their core move. Uh, but you know, I there's a lot of this in there. Some of that is emulated by the friendship move, or and other playbooks emulate it with a core move and also a friendship move later, because. It depends on the archetype, because there were some characters that archetypes that are really just focused on how they relate to other characters. Then there's the enemy move, because I realize if you only have a friendship move, you kind of have to have a negative, because, well, I brought up Naruto and Sasuke, and we all know how that story went. Sasuke was kind of a jerk, putting that lightly, since the Orochimaru storyline... Till the end. I'm using a lot of Naruto examples. Why don't you use something from Bleach? Uh, not that it's coming to mind, I suppose. But there is always like that element that they you can fall out of favor with them. Yeah. And then the last thing was is that you the advancement system, which is a two pronged one. I thought failure resulting in experience made a lot of sense for shonen yeah since i feel does. like the, they get stronger usually when they lose <laughs> like it's usually they have to get their ass handed to them oh sorry their butt handed no to don't them. worry about it we're more explicit they, don't worry <laughs> before they get stronger and then i also sort of borrowed this idea uh, i saw once in a star wars fan hack of having three distinct things that sort of lines up to their playbook that when they play to they get a bonus and you know that was kind of that's like what you get with every playbook but i brought a but, you know, that was just the jobber. There are other playbooks like the Rival that I mentioned earlier, the Mentor, which is, I think you can kind of guess from that. They have one person who's a student. Um, actually, writing the Mentor was a little <laughs> funny, I remember, because there's this moment where I'm like, man, what is it with having pervy old men? I got to really, like, take that out a little bit while working on this ad. It's, I, I use generic language. I use generic languages. I think I said vices so that it could be, you know, so, so that we have a proper veil. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I hope people, you know, keep everything. The, you know, actually, I'll bring that up. I hope people do because a big part of that is you have a lifestyle and you have a mentor. Um, so I really hope people do keep in mind the nature of the person. Either because lifestyle is either you are a big organization so you can think like if you go to a school or are studying under somebody, whereas the Wanderer one for the lifestyle is more like if you have like a dedicated master. And then, you know, it has a mechanic specifically where there's one student, and usually a lot of this playbook is how you relate to the student. You have the Forever Young, which is a name that I borrowed from a song. Uh, that's like Luffy and Naruto's personality, you know, always yeah. energetic, always happy. And a few other, there's quite a few. I mean, we have the Avenger, uh, which is about someone who's seeking like some kind of revenge against somebody else, which was a big thing, uh, at least if one of them was a really big thing, but kind of fits, actually. This usually is, like, not usually, but it's not unheard of that you have one character whose goal is, like, related to another character. Maybe it's not full-on revenge, but usually maybe to 
not like rival, but well, you, you get the idea, I think. Yeah, it's something similar to that. Then we have the straight man. That one's a pretty. F- I'm I'm at scrolling through it. I have a draft copy. Actually, I'm supposed to be reviewing. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, that's kind of your one guy. The difference between the straight man and a jobber is the jobber's job is to get his butt kicked, whereas the straight man's kind of like the aware from Urban Shadows. It's the normal person in the in the uh, magical world, so to speak. And then the tireless is another one there. That's a fun one, too, because that's the person who's really obsessed on getting better. Like, that's mm. all they want to do. That was a pretty fun one. I also really like the art for that one. I kind of go all over the place, so I feel like I'm eating up a lot of you. I'm sure you have more questions. You mentioned having quite a few, so maybe I should stop. <laughs> no, it's okay. There's a lot that can get covered in these things, and like, it's I'm here to like learn about your stuff, and the people who are listening to this right now are like interested to find out more. They clicked on this for a reason. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned a moment ago having to talk about getting back to the editors and your publishers and we we talked a little bit about making sure that people could hear about your team and your your published like who you're working with on fev can you tell us a little bit about them oh yes thank you thank you for that that's a great segue because um so we recently they recently rebranded actually they're now they used to be called san Gennaro. uh they are now they find i it was a little embarrassing. I mentioned this in the pre-interview. I thought the rebranding was already public, so I, I kept mentioning it in like my promotions for this game, but it wasn't public. I just found oh. that out. It wasn't public. <laughs> uh, so I wonder if anyone knew, was wondering what the hell Far Horizons is, but that is their new name, <laughs> is Far Horizons. Um, and they are an amazing pump. They're a workers' cooperative. Uh, okay. So I mentioned this. They don't... Really retain any excess uh, product of our labor, and their contract is so nice to me. They've been so nice to me, and the, it's everything's done on a volunteer basis. Uh, well, not volunteer; they get paid. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I say volunteer. I mean, you know, you you sign a contract to work with a cooperative, and then projects come your way, and you sign on them. So the team that is volunteered have all joined this because, for one reason or another, they were interested in it, and it's a really nice okay. team. Uh, I mean. I really should have asked them how they'd like to be referred to, so I'm going to be a little careful here. But I have two, I had two, no, three great editors, actually. Uh, I'll be careful. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know if I should, I'm not going to name them because I forgot to ask them their names, but they were great people. Uh, they'll be credited in the book. Uh, they were great people. They really helped me out. One thing I mentioned in the pre-interview is one of them um, who follows... I, well, you know, I, I could probably say this. Uh, their username, I believe, is uh, Z-W-O-D-D-R, because, you know, it's not like that's their name. Uh, they were great, actually, at helping me out with one very key element. As I mentioned, I worked on this a long time ago yeah. uh, when this was originally finished. And while there was not a lot of, like, outright anything too bad in there, one thing that jumped to mind is that there was some ableist dialogue, which was very great to get that kind of perspective on things and correct for it. You know, I think I actually am very focused on uh, our entire team and the company as well, that we're, the cooperative we're working with is very focused on that. And it's very great to have that kind of sensitivity reading to make sure we don't put mm-hmm. anything in there that could be offensive to anyone. And not to mention also, I can't write to save my life. So there was tons of typos they had to fix. <laughs> like it wasn't even funny. Uh, so it was great to have that support. And then um, layout is being worked on right now. I mean, we have a draft that I just have to look over, and it's looking really good, honestly. <laughs> I've never had, like, a book published that I didn't either. Well, no, I've had I've hired people directly for layout before. I shouldn't say that. But never for a project this big, mainly due to a limitation of not having enough money. Uh, <laughs> so it's so strange to see this thing I wrote looks so good. And so, like, I really wanted a manga aesthetic to it, black and white, and they're just knocking it out of the park on this. And that really reminds me of the other thing, too, is the art. Like, so there's a there's some Creative Commons art that actually the layout artist is uh, sends to me for approval, but the art we got created for it was actually all made by one artist. Very really? great person. Yes. That's they are a great wild. person. 
Well, we don't have that. Well, we have. It's a long story. We had some people who dropped out, and they, mm-hmm. even though I said like, you know, you don't have to take up the work, they took up the work, and so all the playbooks have the same artist, and I think it really helps. Now, once again, that, that doesn't count for the Creative Commons art. I'm talking about the art created specifically for the book, which is the playbook yeah. art, the interchapter art, and the cover, which is still being finished but looks really good so far. Because uh, they sent me some proofs like a week ago, look really nice. Um, they did an amazing. <laughs> I really like it because uh, I, I gave. I never had commission. I, I I don't usually commission art because of monetary issues. <laughs> to tell you the truth, yeah, it's a little pricey. So when I started seeing this stuff, you know, that's the nice thing about having a publisher. You know, when I started seeing stuff coming <laughs> back, I really like how they incorporate some elements. Because we had to talk back and forth because a big thing I had, too, is I wanted to, um, I think a lot of PBTAs go for this. But one thing, and I'm going to make it roasted for this, but uh, that I don't like sometimes is that Shonen Battle Comics, probably because of the Shonen title, they don't the most diverse. I know it's a different culture and there's different values, but I, I, I always have, like, the fact that women usually don't have a lot of saying those stories always you know i think uh, it bugs a lot of people in general yeah um and you know i know it's in a different country but i always kind of wonder you know there's not a lot of racial diversity in those stories and there's next to none on sexual orientation or gender identity so we worked a lot on those original things making sure that we had that because i wanted people who bought this game to know that even if you know a lot of the times you don't see yourself in those stories you can make characters that you know look like you and have similar experiences to you i want them to feel like they have a place in these stories because they've been fans of it for years i have been too and it can sometimes be a little disheartening when you don't see yourselves in those stories and so i want to make sure at least with this game that's about being in those stories they feel like i'm not forgetting them um or our team is not forgetting them and the artists really worked great on that uh, some things are pretty clever solutions too if you look closely, you can actually see a lot of little details that I like. The Guardian is supposed to be a trans man. You may not be a... One uh, nice detail they put in was actually the scars you'll notice on his chest, which I thought was a very nice touch. Uh, you know, you'll see them right over there because of... Uh, I don't know what the medical term is for uh, mastectomy, I think. Um, I might be that wrong That sounds that. vaguely correct, but I'm not up to... <laughs> I'm not up to par on that stuff. <laughs> I know this probably is a weird thing to hone in on, but I just really like that they no, it's with okay. me to make sure that we had these elements. I mean, one, mm-hmm. I mean, for the title list, we had to put just uh, the best way of handling it actually was putting a trans flag on her uh, five because I was a trans woman. We were a trans femme. We were trying to go for, and then there's just this general thing that I just not only do I like how all the art looks like really, um, I'll. I, I, they go by Lib on Twitter, and I, I uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see me mention them because I always like to shout out anyone in the post that I can. But mm-hmm. I just really liked how they it just looks so good. They really got down the spirit of what I was going for. Um, so everyone's been great on that front. The editors, our three editors, were great. Um, I can't like I said the one, especially the one who helped me with that ableist dialogue. I didn't even know was in there. The layout is turning great. The art is turning out great. It was really, honestly, very <laughs> nice experience to have other people working on the project. Because uh, normally my stuff is put out for free and I'm the only person there. And I know it was yeah. a long time ago. And these people, I don't even remember too much because this was back when I was in college when the book was actually originally written. But just all the people who agreed to play test because... I've been playtesting another game that I won't talk about here, and I forgot how hard it can be to get people willing to play your game for a playtest. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so nice to just get people who give good feedback and honestly mm-hmm. tell you about the game. You know, there's a playtester, I'll name I'll name him, he's a friend of mine, Jordan, who honestly turned me on to some really good mechanics. At that point in time, I was unaware of Nathan Poletta's uh, Worldwide Wrestling, and that really inspired a lot of FEV and fixed the combat system. Because originally, I started off with uh, Simple World as the basis for this. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Simple World. That was a guide put out by the creator yeah. of Monster Hearts. And so the combat system for that just did not work. And ev- like for five, six playtests, I was using like that, and it just 
never worked no matter how I try to do it because not that it was broken inherently. No, it works for what it was made for. It didn't work for Shonen. And it's uh, Jordan pointed out that, you know, Shonen is very similar to wrestling. And the uh, funny thing is now I'm a huge wrestling fan. I wasn't a wrestling fan back then, but I took his word on it. And yeah, it, it really helped out a lot. The, oh, yeah. The battle moves are so much nicer now that they're built on this back and forth description of a fight with the only roles happening when a certain list of specific actions occur, very specific, like trying to prove someone wrong. And most of these actually tie into the main battle move, which is handled by focusing on the moments where there's a two-page spread or a zoom-in. Because usually, until those moments happen, I use the example from the mangas. Uh, anime would obviously show it a little differently, but until those key moments happen, which I admit are a little, in the the rules advice, a little loosey-goosey, but you know them when they happen. You <laughs> yeah. know when the, you know you have the struggle, the beam struggles. You know when that happens. That's the moment where everything starts. And if I remember correctly, that's the moment where you can tie into the other battle moves. So it becomes this core center of timing, waiting for those key moments and for the rest of it to be purely narrative until that point. And it just... Um, I, I just felt it really worked out well. So the playtesters were great for really turning me on to some of these things. I mean, I'm just thinking of one example, but there's so many little examples I can get for the playtesters, like my yeah. friend Marcus, who is the one I mentioned earlier, where they pointed out how one, the first, this was pretty funny. This is when we did like a cyber, uh, what was it called? Bubblegum pop, that cyberpunk thing based. Uh, oh, okay, test. yeah. I don't know why I used that as the setting. I just did. I think I watched the anime. I made it into a shonen thing. They used the jobber and they broke the XP system and ex showed me a horrible exploit I had to fix. Oh boy! So there was so many little examples <laughs> of play testing of people just helping out like that. I mean, I, because you know, I, I think you originally called me the creative or the lead designer, but I felt like these things are such collaborative efforts, and I don't think people who do all this work always get like their, you know, mentions. So I just wanted yeah. to take some time and bring them up. You know what? That's super nice to hear because realistically like i know that there are single player tabletop role playing games but to me and not i'm not shitting on single player tabletop role playing games at all i i think they they're not for me but totally understand what they're they're meant for but it's such a collaborative thing to do like it's such a collaborative hobby so you would hope that it would be a really collaborative designing process because if if not you're you're missing out on things uh, I can think of a number of playtesters I've talked to who uh, who have told me about like going and trying something new and seeing how maybe one system didn't really work. So I think that they people, especially ones who have playtested with you for FEV, really appreciate that. Well, you know, I mean, uh, you you actually surprised me by knowing a surprising... During the pre-interview, you brought up a lot of something, I think, listeners weren't here for this where you knew all these random facts you said you had done research on me and I, i'm so sorry no it was fine out. and i remember the funny thing i thought is i wondered did zach uh i can call you zach right of course yeah yeah uh, did zach uh find the this awkward period where i tried out because it was the hip thing at the time split playbooks uh and to when i stopped because that was such an interest the playtests for that were so rocky, but it was such a good learning experience about how playtests work. You know, because games change so much is what I'm trying to go for with that. You know, FEV originally had, because you brought this up in the pre-interview, it originally had stats. But, because FEV is actually statless. It, it gets around it by changing the ranges on a PBTA. Because if you... For the folks, I, I, I'm sure everyone already knows this. I'm probably patronizing them by saying this, but uh, the way the dice system on PBTA works is it's based on bands of probability of a normal 2d6 roll, which is why success normally occurs on a 7, because statistically a 7 is one of your most likely rolls. Well, half success is your most likely roll, a 7. So when you have that kind of like system and you do pluses and minuses, you kind of shift the probability curve over 1, so if the lowest number possible is 2 and the highest is 12 and the most average is 7, you add plus 1. Now the lowest is 3, the average is 8, and the highest is a 13. 
Yeah. So that was the theory behind it math-wise. Um, now, we originally had stats, but we ran into some problems. One was balancing the stats. It was actually a little iffy for me to figure out the stats themselves and how to keep them balanced. It actually caused a lot of problems in quite a few drafts. I, I probably should look up some old ones to tell you what they were, because I know you were interested in it. <laughs> but it was just one of these cases where it never satisfied the playtesters. Uh, they always had some issue with it. And, and not that I'm complaining. I mean, this was good advice. They always felt like it took it out of them, took them out of the experience some way or another. And I don't remember where I saw this, because I'll be honest, it's not my idea. Uh, I, I mean, a lot of my things really come from the fact that I play a lot of games, I know a lot of people, and I just sort of observe, you know, I, I don't know, hope it's not a bad thing, but, you know, I see kind of like other things and use it to inform my own ideas, but I saw somewhere where someone moved over the stats automatically so they wouldn't have stats in their game. And I borrowed that idea. So the idea is everything is moved over as if it was a plus one situation. So now your every band is it's essentially as if you have plus one to everything. Okay. And if you were gonna compare it to the normal math, so they ends up not having any stats from it. There was two reasons. One I, I don't know if I mentioned this yet, but it also tied into an element that kind of came up when I realized that shonen battle comics work in sagas or arcs, and at the end of those arcs, you generally kind of, I don't know if reset is the right word for it. It's kind of like that, the power level shifts. Well, the power level is one thing, but the other thing is also characters are more likely to change arcs at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, I put that specifically into the game itself, that there is yes. actually this moment at the end of your story arc when the villain i don't know we didn't talk about npcs at all so you have the zakos <laughs> the um generals and the villain yeah the arc system is very cool oh thank you uh you have the zakos are minions uh the generals are kind of like you know you see them all the time the the crew that the one the mugiwara pirates is that is that weep thing to say the straw hat pirates have to <laughs> defeat before they can fight the big guy and then the villain is the big guy. They're Crocodile, like from the Baroque works arc of One Piece, or maybe Eneru, who was modeled after Eminem. And um, I don't know why I brought that up. They're, once they're beaten, <laughs> the arc is over. So there's this reset process. So the other reason I took away the stats is I realized mathematically that while I could do this whole reset your stat thing, It'd be a little weird every time. So I was already having a situation where no one really liked the stats I could come up with. They weren't balancing out. Like when I was working on it, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of, just couldn't figure out how to balance them out because it was one of these elements where I would try to, when I say balance, it was a mixture between utility and just pure numbers where okay. no matter what set I could come up with, I couldn't apply them enough situations where they all felt like they had equal utility and also making sure that they were adding to enough roles, similar to utility, but just a pure numbers game here, where you would leave the experience feeling that regardless of how you built your stats, as long as you built them to the right character specifics, you were getting the same out of them that someone else was. Yeah. It, it, it kind of, I don't remember the, it was so many, it was so long ago, I don't remember why it wasn't working out. I just remember that... I, I think the comments are still in the documents, but it just wasn't working out. And then I realized that it was either reset them or everyone would eventually end up with plus threes. And it just wasn't. So with the arc system, yeah. I also just said to myself, like, the reset, just just getting rid of this just makes it easier because you just keep a few moves and make a new playbook. It's like when you change to a new playbook move. I think it basically is implied like that. And it just worked better for that arc reset. I think I kind of went all over the place again. <laughs> No, that makes actually that makes sense in like a, a really good way. I, I think that makes sense. So we're actually starting to run a little bit low on time here, Kamala, but I have a I have a couple more questions for you. I'll try to keep it quick. <laughs> so these are one is gonna be a very easy question. The other one you can think on it a little bit if you want, but it's my favorite question to ask on this show. So what advice can you give to a designer who has no experience, but they're looking to start making something? Okay, yeah. Well, the first thing I would honestly suggest is 
make sure that whatever you work on has some good level of storage because I can't tell you um, how great it is. I use Google Drive, but I also don't like shilling for big corporations. So I'm just going <laughs> to say that's what I use. Uh, it's great to have all your documents in one place in a semi-permanent state that can be easily accessed from your phone. I, I'm here to talk about FEV, but uh, one of the projects I have in the works was something that I was originally making as a Chubos hack like four years ago and abandoned. And then I picked it up and started working on it. And I can't tell you how many times stuff like that has happened. I, I also write fan fiction uh, for Avatar. Uh, and it's great to have, have that kind of resource. I know I gave like one example that wasn't design work, but just having your all of your stuff in one spot, great thing to have. Honestly, you'll never lose your ideas, hopefully. You'll be able to just jump into old things, see what you were working on. You'll never just also for the love of God, if you get an idea, write it the write it the hell down. Just write it down because you'll forget it and you'll hate yourself. So the second this is the benefit of having it having access to the documents at a fingertip. Just even if it's just three bullet points. If you're having this thought right before you go to bed, just write it down super quick. You'll save yourself so much kicking yourself in the ass uh but later. Then Another thing I'd suggest is just give it a shot. You know, there's so many generic systems out there that you can get your feet wet working on them. Maybe PPTA actually is not the best one to start with because you have to put more of it in yourself because yeah. uh, you basically have to rebuild the entire game from the ground up. It's really more design philosophy by Vincent and uh, I think it's Magui, Magui. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Baker's I'm not idea. Sure the pronunciation. Yeah. But it's their philosophy that is really what makes that work. You could take those mechanics and I, 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 the creator of Monster Hearts did and turned them into Dream Askew and that was later ran with and turned into Henshin. Um, and oh, that I takes love away Henshin. The, oh, I, I do too. <laughs> and that was just taking away the dice mechanic but keeping the same philosophical ideas. But there's fate, there's Savage Worlds, there's Cortex whenever they get the, their uh, uh, creator studio out. Yeah. Uh, there's GURPS. Tons of SRDs. If... Yeah. Exactly. So just don't feel like you have to start from the ground up. Work on some things. Work on homebrew. If you, if you know, listen, there's nothing wrong with just working on some homebrew stuff. You know, if you want to make a uh-huh. class for D&D and what have you. That's how I started. I made like some prestige classes for third edition. You know, work on stuff that you know a little bit to start off. Get your feet wet. Feel confident. And my last bit of advice, because I know we're running low on time, is just be willing to accept feedback. But what I'm going to say might sound a little bad, but listen more to the complaint than to an offered solution. Um, I know that sounds a little bad, but what I mean is the complaint is 100% how they're feeling. But the offered solution is their guess at how to fix it. And sometimes, I'm going to be honest, remember those few things where we had the split playbooks that I didn't work out too well was actually based on an offered solution. And one thing I learned, this is actually the process where I learned that, where sometimes it's okay to listen to that as a suggestion, but you should also just put it in. Don't take it as I do some did back then where it's like, oh, they're absolutely right. Just remember it's one person's opinion on it. The complaint you should always listen to, but it is also one person's opinion. Uh, and you just have to balance them out, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, always be willing to listen. Uh, but, you know, I brought up that everyone told me to throw out the jobber, and that ended up being the most popular playbook. So you also, you know, sometimes stick to your guns. I, I, I say this all the time. There's no perfect answer. Some things you're going to say are going to work for some situations. Some aren't going to work for some situations. Yeah, just have to develop good judgment over time. Um but yeah, that's the last big thing I'd say is just be receptive to criticism, um, more to complaints than offered solutions, but still think about them and just, you know, use your judgment, you know, try to develop a sense of good judgment for these things and that'll take you very far. Yeah, that's great advice, actually. I can I can definitely agree to that because the little show improvements we've had here and there have usually come from some sort of complaint about something that somebody didn't like. So yeah, listen to the the complaints, uh, even if it's a little disheartening sometimes. Never take it. Uh, I mean, there's yeah, don't not take it tr- to don't yeah. take it to heart. But yeah, I was actually gonna say don't take it personally. You know, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, people, I mean, there are jerks out there, but not everyone's oh, out there to sure. hurt you. You know, most people aren't out there to hurt you. Most people just want to make the product better. Mm-hmm. You know, your first reaction is going to be emotional. You got to kill you, kill the baby a little bit on this. Don't, you know, feel that your thing's perfect and get emotional when someone insults it or critiques it or what have you. You know, just one last little thing I'll say is I actually do have that tendency. So the trick is I never respond immediately. I wait like five minutes for myself yeah. to be like, oh, wait a minute. This is just someone trying to help me. And then I respond. That, yeah, that that's a really good idea. So, Kamala, where can people find out more about you and Friendship Effort Victory? Well, you know, uh, okay, well, that's an interesting one. <laughs> well, we have. I actually have an old defunct blog where I keep a portfolio open, because uh, technically I'm working with Far Horizons, but I do own. I don't know if I should mention it, but I do own my own own my own business. I have an old blog spot that I used to use to mention some of my older projects. Um, with posts, it looks like I haven't updated it since 2009. It's just a WordPress oh. <laughs> site, uh, fngsite.wordpress.com. And I think I actually have some old drafts of it as well as some other titles. But this is just something I personally host. I don't believe Far Horizon has a website. I should have asked. Uh, but I do know they have a Twitter account. Let me just get the... I hope the typing isn't showing up. The Twitter handle is at Far Horizons Co-op uh, or Coop. It's really Far Horizons Coop if you're spelling it out. And <laughs> that's where you can really see a lot of updates on projects and a lot of the other games. I mean, they, they put this short games digest out. You'll find it under the San Gennaro because the, the official rebranding is recent. I actually have something in there I'll mention uh, in the latest draft. I'm the one who's making Shaping the Stars. And I also create oh. Crying Fantasy Friends for a previous one. It's a short game, Digest. It's great. Uh, I, I think, honestly, everyone else's contributions are better than mine. Uh, <laughs> but it's a great place to find out more about them. And then just lastly, you have my own Twitter handle, uh, which is at Kamala Kara A1 which is kind of a mouthful there. I put out some promotional stuff uh, every so often. I've been going through doing a little breakdown on the playbooks so you'll find out more of it there i don't believe there's a website uh and i don't see it on the twitter so outside of that you know the wordpress their twitter and my twitter as always audience uh all those links are going to be down below in the description really do go check this one out and keep an eye out for when kamala will be launching this one proper because it's it's coming up really soon Mm-hmm. yeah we're and... just waiting oh sorry oh no you finish please oh it's just uh i just have to approve layout and then the the cover has to be done and then it's a matter of just picking a date yeah so this game's going to be coming out really soon and if it remotely resembles the the play test that i was able to find from years ago it, it's this is a very good powered by the apocalypse uh hack it's it's very good it looks very fun Especially if you are into uh, shonen, like in in general, if you if you like those stories, this is going to be very good for you, Kamala. Thank you so much for joining me on what is this this <laughs> this big episode, which is okay because this is episode twenty five, is scheduled for launch. So thank you oh. for joining me here. Well, once again, thank you for having me. This was very nice of you. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Kamala, once again. Kamala and Friendship Effort Victory, they're scheduled to launch very soon. So keep an eye out for that. Go visit Kamala's Twitter. Go follow Far Horizons Twitter. Make sure that you're paying attention for that. Take care of yourselves. Have a good night. Bye. Thank you so much to Kamala for coming onto the show this week. I got a chance to see some of the early work for this game, and I really like it. If you are a Powered by the Apocalypse fan, an anime lover, or both, this game is something that you're going to really want to take a look into. It's got a lot to offer. We were only really able to scratch the surface of this one, and there's some really cool stuff in this, like the arc system that we mentioned. It just You need to see it for yourself. And more importantly to me this week, thank you, listener. Whether you've been with me since the start or only recently discovered the podcast, you have been integral to getting scheduled for launch this far. 
And guess what? This is the 25th episode of the show, and if it wasn't for your amazing support and the fantastic guests, I just... I wouldn't be here, and this has been a really important project to me. I know it's silly to say, but it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of, and I hope I get to keep on interacting with you all and doing this for a really long time to come. So from my very core, I just want to say thank you for coming on this journey with me. I'm going to try and figure out something to celebrate the milestone of 25 episodes, but it's going to be late. Please be patient. I'm going to do my best. Next week's episode features Michael Lowe, one of two creators of Stories RPG, which is a game designed to help rocket kids into creative storytelling and tabletop role-playing. It's aimed at parents who may not be super into the hobby, so I think some of you will probably be able to hand this one off to other people, and maybe they'll join you at the table finally. I hope to see you all there. Take care of yourselves. Have a good night. Bye.